Welcome to CISO Diaries. I'm Leah McLean. And I'm Sia Yasutornrat. CISO Diaries is shining a light on the industry's thought leaders and trailblazers. CISOs need people to engage with them. They need folks to take security seriously as a first thought, not an afterthought. They need to value security as a core principle, a moral imperative, an anchor value. And they need people to listen, and they want to be heard, because after all, they are humans too. This podcast is for everyone, including leaders and those aspiring to leadership and security through CISOs willing to candidly share their personal side, and for us to get to know them apart from their jobs and understand their passions. Join us and have fun getting to know our CISOs. And we would like to thank our sponsor, Cyber Future Foundation, a think tank and a group of doers who are focused on driving change across cyber peace goals, workforce and talent, cybersecurity education and training, small business cybersecurity, and private and public sector collaboration. And now, let's meet our CISO. Oh, yeah. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the CISO Diaries podcast. This episode and our podcast is hosted by, I want to send a quick shout out to Cyber Future Foundation. They are a nonprofit organization, a group of think tank endurers, and focus on major cyber initiatives such as cyber peace, cyber workforce and development, and public and private collaboration with government and private sectors. So with that, I'd like to introduce our guest today, Chris Morales, who has been a guest with uh, Cloud Security Alliance before. And Chris, Congratulations on your new role. You are a CISO now at Netenrich. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a uh, thank you. And first of all, that's a good person to be sponsored by, actually. That's, that's like a, it's got a good, uh, good feel to it, a good human feel to it, right? But it's a, uh, yeah, the job's interesting. On the one hand, like, oh, this is great. And the other, like, oh, hell, what have I done? Yeah. Well, okay. So what does Netenrich do? And then also, are you their first CISO? So, this is interesting. Um, you know, it's funny when they first called me, that's what I asked. I go, what do you do? <laughs> it's like, who are you? Um, Net Enrich is an operations company. And that comes out of the IT ops space. They started in 2005. I'm like, oh, wow, you've been around a while. How come I've never heard of you? Those are always a question. Everybody has them. And I still have them. It's like, because I found out that early on, they started working with Ingram Micro and became an exclusive wholesale that Ned and Rich effectively was all ops for Ingram Micro. And I'm like, oh, that makes more sense. So they, anything that was Ingram Micro, you did IT ops. So any managed service provider or managed security service or whatever it was, if they were using Ingram Micro, Ned and Rich was serving that. And they became the biggest ops company I've seen serving over 6,000 people in the shortest amount of time. And very much still, it's this huge back end. And the whole operations of like 900 employees, 500 of those are in operations. And it's like, these are all just people doing day in, day out, everything, DevOps, IT ops, SecOps. And I'm like, wow. So when we think of the whole world's gone operational, I'm like, oh, you guys are operational. And that's become this thing as Ned and Rich still works with Ingram Micro quite a bit. But as it's now kind of set on its own venture to scale and grow, they've come to market. And, and that makes sense. It's like, you know, when you're on the back end and no one knows you exist, you don't, there's certain things you don't have to worry about as much in security. When you now want to exist and have a brand, 
and people know you're there, you're basically putting up a sign saying, I'm open for business. Hey, come check me out. And, uh, and all of a sudden you have to start thinking about a lot of like, oh, we got to think of how we're managing customers and stuff like that. And just kind of aspects of it. So, um, yeah, security, I mean, I don't want to say they've not done security before. It's just, you go from it and security are all in the same area to, we probably need to start thinking about this independently and really focus and start to scale that out. So security's always existed. It just hasn't, now it's like a full dedicated thing. No, no doubt. I know I hadn't heard of them actually till I saw your post on LinkedIn that you had switched roles. Mm-hmm. So um, it's like they're the undercover ops, but so happy that you are in that position with them. And, um, you know, it is important. Uh, but let's talk a little bit more about. Um, can I can I make a comment here? And this is Sia, by the way. Yeah. Hey, Chris. Hello. <laughs> Thanks for the intro, Leah. So real quick, though, is. Um, you didn't just go into them. You were actually consulting for them. So let's talk a little bit about that because it wasn't something that you, you know, marched on in. They had a job opening. They're like, oh, Chris, you're the man. You actually kind of eased your way in other relationships. I think from consulting, is that correct? Yeah, maybe that's cheating a little because there were, so as they go to market and they go into uh, looking at security operations, there were questions like, what should we do? And so I started assessing and looking and, you know, we're security people. So I've been doing this for like 20 years and we live in our own world, right? And security is really, there's been a whole set of industries that have all been security culture, security minded. Um, that's not the world now that we're, that's getting hit and that's at risk, ironically. So in, including like that and Rich, it's like they weren't so concerned about information protection. They weren't a bank and no one was robbing them from finance. That's what it comes down to. It wasn't an intellectual property. Like I'm stealing all this is operations. Disruptions become a thing. And when they first came to me, the honest truth, I was like, Oh wow. Why would I, I work with all these cool security researchers and do all these cool security things that we like to do. And I'm like, do I really want to step in this outside world? I'm like, so I was kind of offered a job and I said, no, I was like, I can still help you, but I, I don't think I want to be committed. I kind of, I'm good. And um, the more time I spent with it, the more I started to appreciate it. Like, oh no, this is where the world's going. And this is probably the most important thing. And then they asked again, they're like, come on, do it. And I'm like, you know what? Fine. Yeah. Why not? And I kind of wish I did it before, to be honest, but part of that is you just don't, it's what you don't know. Right. Yeah. Well, and before you were head of an- data analytics at Vectra. Mm-hmm. So, and it, I, it's a question for you because it comes up all the time, almost weekly for the work that I do is, you know, everyone talks about there's no clear path to being a CISO, right? Well, yeah. I still struggle with that a bit because if you take marketing, for example, there's no clear path to be a CMO. There really isn't, right? It's all based on how much experience do you have? How much of the broader parts of the business do you know? Um, have you been involved in those areas? And eventually it kind of leads to that. Um, I, I guess your thoughts though, because I think you've written about this before with you know CISO and the pathway. So how did you get there? What What is your thought on that? Yeah, you know what? It, it's also because there's no clear definition of what makes a good C anything, C level. Right. And it really is. So at least for in, in security, I think 
it might've been Forrester who wrote this, but there are, I think it was Forrester. There are six types of CISOs is what they wrote. And I bet you could put any executive and say this, and it has to do with the industry and it has to do with the kind of need and who you are. Like um, there are, so actually it's like some of those types. So it's funny. There, there's the traditional, like, it's just a legacy old company keeping together. They really care about compliance auditing and they need somebody who's just there to just keep things running and keep it in ship. Then you have on the extreme end, other guys like uh, Jamie at Experian. He, he's great, by the way. I love him. He's a uh, good. Um, he's brought in at these big companies when it just all goes wrong and he has, on top of technical ability, honestly, Kennedy, really good with the PR and managing, right? It's able to like, okay, you could do your job, but you're also able to express why that's important and help us because after a breach, a lot of that's a PR effort. So, which surprisingly, that's what makes him more valuable, I think, that, that he really understands that. Um, and then you have a lot of tech companies and where... The CISO has to play a little bit more of building technology. And so I technically have two titles and that's what they wanted for me. I was like, okay, I'll take that on. I didn't realize it really is actually two jobs. It's and it's uh, the CISO and I'm dealing with all the internal because we're managing operations for thousands of people, which means the panic was, by the way, solar winds. It's like, we don't want to be a supply chain. And they're like, mm-hmm. the CEO is very aware of this. And then Kasaya and all these is like, oh, yeah. That can't be us. We'll be out of business. And it's like, right. got it. So let's make sure that's good and that yeah. we're very secure operations. The second was, I want to be big in the security space. How do we do that? And he gave me head of security strategy for go to market. And I was like, I'm trying to make the jobs work together. And I do, but it's actually two jobs. But the go to market is something that I have a lot of experience with. And I also have a lot of experience with operations as an operations company. So a lot of those mean what I realized is it wasn't just the job opportunity. It was actually the company and the market. And it's like, Oh, I see why I'm a good fit here and why this makes sense. And I like that. So it's appropriate for me because I don't know if I'd be a good fit at uh, a manufacturer who's looking for some stability in some way. Cause I just don't think that way. Right. No, but you did bring up a point that I don't think we've ever had a discussion with other CISOs so far, which is that branding, that, that personal, branding component of it where you need to have that kind of personality because you're right. I didn't think about this. When SHIT hits the fan, someone's got to stand in front, right? Get it. I get PR and marketing and all that, Marcom and all that. But ultimately they're going to take the cues from the CISO. Mm -hmm. Well, interesting. The number one thing most people say, and I've heard this from many people is, and even actually Netanyahu, what is people really are protecting is reputation. Yeah. 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 That's so think about this. Like when, when target lost people's credit cards, it was a reputation issue. It hurt the people, but did it really hurt them? No, Mm -mm. I was just there this morning. So no. And I used my credit card. So clearly no. You get angry at them because you know, you go there and you know, you're going to go back. Maybe you pout for a day. That's how I feel about Amazon. That's how I feel about Amazon, quite frankly, too, right? And they can't afford it. They can't afford a a breach. It's a time suck when it happens, right? It's an inconvenience. Yeah. Well, it is and it was, and that sums up information protection for the last 20 years and why there's industries that didn't care because they saw that. It was a legal PR issue. Um, 
where we are now with 2020 and actually all the stuff you were talking about, the, the office, that's still a thing. And so, you know, uh, first thing I solved when I got here is like uh, account takeover. Like I, I addressed that, like, you know, that's an issue. Um, I've found that our CFO is single-handedly the most targeted person in the company. Yes. And um, yeah. But what's really changed in the opportunity I see with NetEnrich, and I think COVID really made me realize this too, is digital transformation, like that silly term that could mean anything from we now use a fax machine to, oh, we're all online, has changed the way every industry works. And have you noticed every tack, all they're doing is just shutting things down now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's that saying, I don't know who who penned it, but I've quoted this for the last three, four years is every company is a tech company. Don't care what industry, market, size, every company is a tech company. As long as you have decided to plug in your machine into the internet and you are accessible, whatever programs, applications, whatever, we're all targets and we are all tech, whether we like it or not. That's what makes the case for every company should also be a security company. That is, and that is what's different. And I think people are waking up and realizing, and I think we all feel it when you have to start paying $5 plus for gasoline. Like that's something, you know, or you're like, oh, I can't order a steak by Wednesday. Like these become statements that in fact are personal life or the power shut down, or I guess England was just hit where the ticketing system for the trains was shut down and you couldn't buy a ticket to get on a train. Oh, and they are so dependent on their train systems. Yeah. People notice these things. And that's what security has just become when we realize the whole world is operational. You know, during COVID, the the, the new experience is you don't get a menu. You got to use your phone to go scan a QR code just to order food. And if somebody shut that down, you can't even sit there and order food unless you guess. Or you got to pay for it that way. I'm like, oh, wow. So I can't even go eat my real life without (laughs) digital operations anymore. Right. Well, so shifting a bit, bit because, you know, OT is, you know, not, I don't want to say buzzword, but it's a big topic right now, right? And so thinking about when having a proper staff on your team and the collaboration between security and IT operations and that joint ownership, you know, talk to us about secure operations, not security operations, but secure operations, because I know you have some really interesting perspective on that. Yeah. And that's a, I just sat with, uh, so the CEO of NetEnrich, she's great, Raju. He's, he's just a nice person, actually, by the way. I want to give him props for that. I like him. And we were sat at lunch talking about that. Like, you know, the whole play here, and not just the play, the reality of the world, is that security operations is reactive by design. And I, I know, and look, I did it too. It's like, we always talk about how it's proactive. I'm like, it's proactive reactive because it waits till something happens and it goes bad. And that's what the security world is. We like problems because it gives us jobs. Secure operations is actually proactive and if not predictive. And these are the people who are doing the, the work day in, day out to make sure things work. And they're already thinking about disruption they're thinking about user experience and the full life cycle. Uh, the whole cybersecurity thing is just one more risk into a bigger picture. And secure operations is a lot harder because it's cultural. And it's telling people that you're going to be aware of risk 
as you do your job. And it's not something that you say it's in your way and I got to go do this and I'll let somebody else worry about it. Um, what I learned and I've been realizing for the last, especially more recently, obviously, now I get to work with DevOps, IT ops, SecOps. In fact, that's what my mornings become like seven o'clock with DevOps, eight o'clock with IT ops, nine o'clock with SecOps. And I'm learning it's true risk management, risk advisory, and it's constantly putting people accountable in each group that has to think about, well, what does security mean to this? How does that fit? And uh, my takeaway and what we're building now is that you don't converge the different operations because there's really particular skill sets that are important in each, but everybody needs to be working from the same set of data. This is very old school, traditional situational awareness, daily, constant. So risk isn't, I come in and assess it. I'm a year later, I'll check again. It's like every day I'm like, who cares about me? How are they going to succeed? And what do I have that they want? And what am I doing about that today? And how do I think about that? And it's ruthless prioritization of everything that we do. And it's constantly based on that scenario. And that data has to go to everybody. It's not, you go tell a security guy and then he'll come tell you something about it and write a report and then check on you. It's like, that has, that has to go away. And that's more secure operations and it's risk-driven versus security operations who builds a ticket. Or, well, wait till yeah. something hits the fan, right? That reactive. I, I kind of like your angle here because you're, you're actually humanizing, I think, the silos that naturally happen in these types of positions, right? Because everyone's got their own jobs. They've got their swimming lanes, if you will. And the fact that you're actually bridging a little bit more of the emotional side, the, you know, why do I care? You know what I mean? You know, what value am I bringing? It's easier said than done. Okay. So let me ask you this because security individuals breeds, I think a certain personality type it in general breeds a certain personality type. How are you addressing that? Because I feel like at times you're going, you're pushing a rock up a hill. Um. Well, it's actually, it is emotional. You just make it personal. Like, what does this mean to you? Like, like if this happens, what is this? Why, why should you care? I, I did ask a developer and, and it wasn't actually never somewhere else. I remember having this conversation. They were using some new cool DevSecOps tool. I go, what do you think of it? They're like, yeah, they just shrug their shoulders. Like, does it help you? It's like, like, I don't care. I'm just like, I'm trying to build something. I got to get done. It seemed to only work. It goes, it goes to GitHub. This thing does a thing. It tells me something that I got to go do it. Then I move on. It's like, they just wanted to go away. Right. Like, that is the reality. And it, and I mean, these are smart people too. I'm not talking about, it. it's just not really, they just don't care. Um, it's not easy, but what it comes down to is the entire management chain has to care. So I don't, I don't tell development what to do or how they do stuff. And I don't want to, in fact, that was the thing I said is like, I don't want to start shoving things on you that disrupt the way you work and you're irritated. And I don't want to hire a bunch of people who are uh, audit nannies or like just, just constantly overwatching and telling on you. It's um, so my alignment is all at the C level. I spent a lot of time with the CTO, the CFO um, with the, um, well, the COO, everybody, it's like, we all got to work together. And even the CMO, it's like, it's like, here's, here's what you care about. And we started threat modeling, which most people don't do now, which is very quantitative. 
instead of qualitative. I, I'm not going to say, so every time a news story happens, like, you know, uh, the Revol ransomware hits, instead of saying, we're so screwed, let's go do all this. I go, well, let me tell you what it actually means to us and, and go model it. And that's what I've actually hired. I've hired people to like know how to threat model and say, go run this scenario based on the current news, look at what we have. And then go, don't talk to security, go talk to people, say, hey, here's what's going on, here's why, and here's what it means, and here's the impact. And I'm not going to go waste your time with every story that happens. Um, so and- are you trying are you trying to tell me that you are a data-driven guy? Is that like what I'm kind of the vibe I, I'm I getting? Mean, yeah, it sounds you know, like I just ran using the data and making it put to use. Yeah, this is what happens. I know that might in, sound far-fetched, but. <laughs> no, it's right. But I just worked at a hardcore data science company for the last five and a half years, sitting here doing statistical analysis with guys that are way smarter than we have PhDs and I ask stuff and they look at me like I'm stupid, but I learned from that. <laughs> it's like, they're writing crazy algorithms. Like, I'm just trying to do some basic math. Uh, after all that time, and I started doing a lot of statistical analysis is what I was doing and starting to do uh industry comparative map to data and all that stuff i started to extract a lot of meeting i'm not going to walk away from that i'm like you know what i actually this makes a lot of sense i can answer questions based on reality and we don't have to fix every problem there's so many things we don't have to do and i think they appreciate that appreciate that i'm not giving you 100 things to do i'm giving you like two and i'm telling you why it matters and that's it yeah no i and, love that you know i think I mean, anyone can look at your LinkedIn or who knows you in the industry and know that you've got uh, the the chops, right? Technical experience, management, everything. But I mean, you now are, you know, the guy for security at your company. And to some degree, everyone looks to you and you need to also rally everyone, right? In every department group down to HR um, and get behind you. I mean, it's a lot, but you know, aside from knowing that you're capable and everything, how, how, what do you, you know, how are you trying to get them to resonate with you or to be comfortable with coming to you? Cause I think there's a big part of, you know, getting to know people personally and, you know, sharing some information that they can relate to. So it makes them, you know, more comfortable to come to you for questions. You know, what, Talk a little bit about how you got into security. I think you were an army brat and just share a little bit about that background, um, non-work, but that relates. Yeah, it's funny. So first of all, by the way, it's a, the candid truth is I don't, I, I've been offered a CISO job before. I've done a lot of advisory, helped people build programs, done a lot of architecture, uh, uh, built people's entire processes, metrics. And I said no to jobs because I didn't want to fight that fight you just described. I was like, honestly, I it's like a fuse box job. And I'm like, I don't want to sit somewhere where I'm just here until something goes wrong. So then you can point at me and that's how you manage your PR. Like that's exhausting. I know it's a tough job and I have a lot of respect for people who are doing it. And I was like, I'm not sure I want that coming here had more to do with, I guess I spent the last year to the team culturally. I'm like, Oh no, I don't feel that way. Uh, They already cared is what I found. I was like, these people already care and know, and, and and they get the point. That's made my life a million times easier. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe that's a, a weak way out or something. I was like, no, I, I like working somewhere where they get it and understand, and I'm not trying to convince anybody of anything. 
In fact, I did my morning this meeting, the CFO you stopped me goes, no, we get it. We know this is a problem. You don't have to convince us of anything. Tell us what we're doing. I'm like, that's great. So solving that was finding a place that actually cared in the first place. And there's nothing I did to do that. Um, I'm just trying to make sure I can execute to their expectations. If they want me to go faster than I even want to. And I was like, well, I need more people. So it's uh, that helped. But as far as getting into security, I didn't. I didn't even know this was a career track. I uh, I joined Texas A and M as a comp sci major because I was a kid and I thought writing video games would be cool. Then I discovered it's actually sitting in a cube for years, doing I don't know what, and I can't do that. So I ended up dropping out of college, by the way, and started my own company at nineteen and sold it by twenty two. I like to make it sound like a success story, but that's not true. It's what happened by 22 is I realized I have no idea what I'm doing. Um, I know tech, but I didn't know QuickBooks. Um, somebody offered me some pretty decent money as a kid, like a couple hundred thousand. I'm like, yeah, I'll take that and just go hang out. And uh, I was supposed to join the Air Force, actually. Because, um, yeah, I grew up military, Fort Gordon. I don't know anything about it. Because oh, in Augusta. Yeah, Augusta, and then to another in Fort Benning, Fort Stewart, Fort, I don't know what, um, dozen cities now. And I just listened to my dad talk about Sun Tzu and the art of warfare. And as a kid, you're like, what the hell is this? It's like, what are you talking about? You know, my dad retired as a lieutenant colonel, inspector general, and then went to Homeland Security and built all that up. And I listened to him ramble on about stuff that I now realize I ramble on about. I was like, where did I come up with this? I'm like, oh, I sat here listening to him all the time. <laughs> and, uh, you know, as a kid, you're like, this is stupid. But I was like, no, I, I really like this. It's, um, I went into tech. It's like, I remember getting a phone call for an interview with a company called Internet Security Systems, which IBM bought um, in 1998 or nine. I'm like, I'm like 22, 23. I just sold this company. I'm 23, 24 by then. I'm like, what am I doing myself? What am I doing in my life? I've got no point. And I took an hour and a half long interview that people were asking me all these security questions. And I was like, yeah, I, I spent a lot of time on RUC hacking things because that's how you got free video games. That That's like, and dealing with stuff. And then I go, they go, yeah, any question? I go, yeah, what is this about? Why am I even talking to you? Then they explained what ISS was. And I'm like, you're telling me this is a career? People, yeah, you'll pay me to come in and do what exactly? And so I was like, the answer is yes. I'm like, I didn't know I could do this. And that was at 24 and 99. And that's all I've done since. And oh, um, I think this yeah. is a great story because you already have, I think, I think you have the inclination at an aptitude. And I think quite frankly, at the turn of the century, we, I think, had great timing, too. I think there's a certain component is being in the right place mm. at the right time and you being open to the opportunity. I think that's another thing that you're not like we're not emphasizing enough with individuals is the fact that sometimes things come up and you may not even realize that's it. And you just got to say, do it. Let's just do it. Let's jump off that cliff together and, you know, make that move. Were you at any point in time when you're with ISS, for example, uh, was it a natural fit for you once you started or did you have growing pains learning the role as you joined on? Uh, well, my job changed a lot. So, you know, my first job was like, oh, I want you to go 
So they go, we invented this product. You go, what is it? It's a host-based system scanner. looks for compliance. Do you realize that's the whole market now, right? You know, you talk about Tanium and all that. Yeah. And go, what is this? And I, so I worked on version 1.0 of the first host-based system scanner doing configuration management before there was compliance to sell to. They canceled the product finally because like, this is stupid. No one's going to do it. <laughs> Oh. It was like, great. So they're like, uh, you need to come in and help support some of our big customers. At the time, I was like Citibank, right? It's like, uh, it's like sure. And I, I was like the youngest administrator that Delta Airlines hired. At 23, I was running Delta's network somehow. I have no idea how they let me do that. Uh, I got my Microsoft certification because I'm like, sure. And I also knew how to code. And then I was hacking stuff. And then I got certified in ATM and all this. So I learned networking OSs. I just learned all this crap and I was like, I don't know why, but I knew it. And then security is like, oh, I know how that all works. And um, I worked on that first product and I was trying to help them with the architecture and the network and how things communicate because they didn't know that. And I changed my job. I put it like this, I assessed in nine years, I think I had seven or eight or nine or a bunch of different jobs. I went from doing like, I'll help you with tech support to QA to doing uh, architecture to doing training classes. I started teaching all those to pre-sales, to post-sales, to uh, start to write all the checks for it, to write, let me help you figure out what you need to go find in configuration. And I'm like, I, I don't know. There were no defined security jobs. I don't think people realize that too. Then I went into the field and started working with some pretty large companies. And we started doing this intrusion detection. We invented intrusion detection, the vulnerability scanner, the host base scanner. We, we, they just made all this stuff up and said, I think this is a good thing to do. I honestly don't think the market's changed since then, by the way. I think they've just given new names and try to be fancier. But I sat with people early on in the early 2000s saying, hey, you should go look for attackers inside your network. Like, that's a cool idea. And I go, I just saw something. What I do? And I said, to her, I have no idea. What do you do? I mean, I remember a couple of analysts who now are CISOs and senior architects, and they grew too. And we're like, uh... So if I see something, do I tell somebody what we literally didn't know what to do? So I took software development lifecycle and learned uh, business process modeling networks. I was like, this looks the same, an event process, and started writing my first SOC process, and I didn't know that's what I was doing. And instant response processes because, well, this did something. Somebody needs to know. You probably need to tell them, and then you got to go do this. And we really just started writing this in real time. And then we built a managed service and that's what IBM bought us for, for like a couple billion in 2007. And I was like, oh, I'm learning operations. Right. <laughs> I love your yeah. story, and, Chris. I know. And, you know, it's funny because I think a lot of people ask, you know, teach me how to be a leader. Right. And it's not <laughs> easy. to. T- there's no class that teaches you really. Right. Hmm. But I think. Oh, I think there is now, by the way, you can go pay oh, someone like, certified <laughs> apparently. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, but how effective is it? Yes, I said that or asked that. Um, but I think the examples you just shared, you know, you've consulted, you're a council member for council member for CompTIA. Um, mm-hmm. And I think, and I mean, I think every member of every chapter across the U.S. of Cloud Security Alliance remembers your Office uh, 365 lectures. It, it's almost like it was naturally innate in you as a leader. Um, but do you have any advice that you can give others who are trying to get that, you know, quote unquote, how to become a leader, anything that you could share? Uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't even think of it that way. It's like, it's just, it's, it's, uh, 
I guess it's more of what you do. It's like the title doesn't mean anything, to be honest. And to my mind, it's like, oh, now I'm more accountable and stressed. Great. So I'm an, I am I freak out about doing things poorly. So now I'm just going to work even more hours. Great. That's how I, you know, that's maybe that's a bad habit, learning to make sure that you manage that well. But, you know, I was, I think, what was I told? I was, I remember when I was really young, I was told something pretty simple. They're like, look, you know how to do a million things. Feel free to go around and uh, go learn anything. It's actually really useful to have insight and empathy. Not, it's not even the technical, it's the empathy and, and emotional side of understanding, like, why people do things or why their job exists or what the pains are to not just infer that they don't know what they're doing or they don't care. It's like, you, that's, don't do that. I go, once you understand that and you understand the people and that a little bit better, it's a little bit easier to think about what your job actually is. But the other I was told is, you know, pick something and just be really good at it. Just do it well. It's like, don't, don't worry about doing everything. Like really just pick something and just be good at it. <laughs> which means, you know, work. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I started making suggestions to build in a psychology course um, in yeah. some of the curriculums for, you know, going into cybersecurity and becoming a manager and leader. Um, and I'm sure Sia has a lot to say on that too, but that is interesting. You know what? Hacking is social engineering anyway. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it's not as technical as people think. It's, uh, I mean, it can be, it, it makes for good news. I, I think I always joke, I go, I think the vendors came up with the concept of advanced threats to explain why they don't work. <laughs> like, it's like, whatever, it's just threats. Uh, an attacker looks like a really good IT admin to me. It's like they're using the same tools. So, well, so yeah. It's, I, the, it's the weakest link though, right? If you think about it, no matter how good you've got the security defenses lined up, you could have 40 different, you know, layers, if you will, of security. It just takes one human to click on that link and you're off to the races. You know what I mean? Like it just takes that human element that just messes it all up for everyone. At least for me, that's why. It, it, it does. And you know what? That's security's fault, not the people. Yeah. That's our fault. That's how I look at that. I'm like, how did, how do we make that a system? Like, like passwords are a form of torture, not security. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like we made all this complicated and, and bad user experience. And that's a failure on uh, the security industry. I guess that's it. That's on the same topic of empathy to me. Like, well, the point of a leader is to enable other people to be good at their job and do well, not to be good at your job. Mm -hmm. I think less about like that. I'm like, it's funny. I'm like, I think I can screw up a lot as long as I make sure the people that are doing the, the real work are not screwing up and they don't want to quit and they're happy. And it seems to make up for a lot. And I joke about it, but like, yeah, that's how you look at it. It's like, don't, don't be afraid that I want them all to be better than me at everything. Like that's the only people I don't want people. It's like, no, I, I want you to be better than I am. And that's doing me a favor. This like, I'm not going to have jealousy over that. That's awesome. Thank you. Please do work. Well, I think that's um, that component of leadership, right? You, you, mm -hmm. That humility, right? When you know that your job is just to guide and ensure that whatever deliverable objective goals is delivered, but your real engine is your team, is your people, right? You 
you can't get to that goal by yourself. You're going to need everyone around you in your organization, even cross your organizations to help you. And I think, I think you with that empathy pointing that out, I wonder to, to some degree with technology leaders that I've seen, and I'm outside looking in now that I've been away from the tech industry. I, I notice that unfortunately with technology, we get so mired in our tools and gadgets and what we're capable of, you know, the, 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 toys delivering that we forget that there is still a human element and we still have cross communications with other departments, if you will, that's still part of the engine of that company. And so I guess you just, you just kind of resonated with me a little bit. What I see maybe at times the CISO leaders are also having that challenge because there is an assumption that CISOs need to stay in their lane and stay over here. You're not involved with the CFO or marketing. I think that's changing, but I think you're doing a great job of articulating that you have to constantly reach out and yeah you know and i hope i'm doing as well as doing it i'm not a hypocrite because it's easy to say things but the fundamentally I, I, the whole point to me is like we need to understand that humans are people are the victims not the problem mm-hmm. like yeah that, it's that simple it's like i look at people like you're not i'm not i don't they're not the problem they're the ones suffering from our technology problem Oof. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. Well, before we close out, because, you know, you have a big job yourself, other CISOs also, and it's demanding. What are you what are things that you do personally and um, to make sure you don't get the burnout? Because that is a thing. There are some folks on sabbatical right now from their CISO positions because they reached that point. So what are you going to do to make sure you don't get there? God, I don't know. And I hope I figure it out. So it's, um, it's um, I don't know. I was just thinking about that the other day. It's like, the, the, to me, the, I can flip, the question is, how do I get more sleep, right? That's the question. It's like, how do you sleep more? It's like, I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I don't have some magic answer. I've, I've, been, uh, I've been a victim of burnout more than once. And you think you're going full steam and then you just hit a wall and it's scary. Mm-hmm. You're like, wow, I, I'm going to have to go quit and go do some other job because I, I literally don't think I can do this anymore. Like it's a, uh, you mentally just can't, it's weird. And so um, I still have a lot of growing pains and I'm probably going to go through that. I wish I had a great answer. Um, you, I don't know. You know what, what is striking me just listening to this and like, you know, we've, we've, we've stalked you as much as we possibly can, which is the irony is how do you do research on CISO leadership when of your guests are like locked down and they're like no social media and there's no way we can find anything about you. Right. So, but one thing that we did uh, hear about in in conversations is, you know, you had mentioned like, if you were to write a book about yourself, you would title it. I am me. And Mm -hmm. I think the way I'm hearing this and hearing you say, like, I haven't figured out how to prevent my own burnout I can absolutely see you writing a book saying I am me talking about that vulnerability of knowing you will burn out. There's a, there's, there's a very real problem, I think, in career development of having to do that balance between your personal life and your well-being and your professional life and your development. Would that be something that you would actually end up pursuing? Cause I would buy your book because just based on your stories and I'm hearing, mm-hmm. You're no BS. I mean, is that safe to say a good description yeah. of you? You're no BS. I don't have time. No, it's a, uh, maybe <laughs> I say a little bit too much sometimes, but no, it's like, this is just what it is. 
yeah. this is how it is. Let's just fix the problem. So, um, yeah, you know what? It's funny you say that. Like, it's it's kind of like burnout's going to happen. And, you know, people talk about work-life balance, for example. I'm like, these are just words they say that. It's just not even a thing. It's like, just do what you like. It's like, whatever. It's, it's like, dude, there's no, I, I don't know how to explain that. Like, there's no such thing to me as work too much or don't do this too much. And if you have regrets, I'm like, okay, it's like, we all work a lot or we don't. It's whatever. Um, and burnout, if you do a lot, it's kind of like eating a lot of the same food. At some point, you're going to get bored of the flavor. And then you just need to sleep for a long time and shift and do something else. So maybe I need to go to Hawaii for two weeks. And I feel great. But I'm not sure how that works. It's, I, I think it's, I guess for me, it's like, you know what? Actually, I can think about it. Like the times I burn out the most is not because I was working too much. It's because I was working hard and realized no one cares. Mm. Ooh, that's a Ooh. interesting statement that is resonating. Oh, I like that one. I know. I'm, I'm putting a lot of hours right now, but I feel good about it. And so it's mm. like, you know what? It's, it's not bothering me. I'm like, I realized I could burn out. I go, when's that going to happen? It's like when I realized it was futile. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you actually like what you're doing too. I mean, I think that's important, right? In security, mm-hmm. a lot of people, they actually enjoy it and it is a passion. So they don't always see it as work. So then it gets even harder to some degree to delineate, right? With that work-life balance. But, um, and I know we have to close out soon. I mean, personally for me, I, I try to take a day off here and there. So tomorrow I'm headed out with some cousins to Amarillo, Texas, never been, <laughs> that's how I'm going to, you know, hope to, for myself not to have burnout. Um, but Chris, I just want to say it was a pleasure having you as a guest to, with us today and just being so open and candid, um, a straight shooter, really, truly appreciate hearing everything you had to share and congrats again on your new role as CISO at Netenrich. Thank you. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's such a pleasure to meet you. And so just so much, because I like to do one last stinger at the very end of things, just to humanize you even more. I just want to say um, uh, congratulations. And thank you, by the way, for your father's service. Um, and I understand that you went to Texas A&M. So I just want to, you know, let you know that, you know, it's, it's always a pleasure and uh, hook him horns. <laughs> oh lord <laughs> oh i'm sorry i had to do it I'm, I'm a californian so i didn't understand that rivalry and let me just tell you i think i almost lost a deal because i actually i said that by accident so <laughs> you know i was even in the corps of cadets at texas a&m that's like full in like military <laughs> school got the full training political science uh i got a marksman's badge with an m16 apparently i could have been a sniper i guess that was an alternative i thought that's funny Hey, backup career, you know, (laughs) I don't know if I could do it now, but it's like, oh, so I could sit in a field for a week and mile away, shoot somebody like, huh, I didn't choose that. (laughs) I think we're many of us and I'm sure Net and Rich is happy that you chose the path you're on today. So again, Chris, thank you again for being a guest here. We hope to have you back. And that's it for the CISO Diaries. I know. Bye.